0: Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you had fantastic weekends. I certainly did, other than my University of Tennessee volunteers getting their butts whipped down in Florida, which we will discuss shortly. Uh, Reminder, Outkick the Show, I do college football reactions on Monday. And then Tuesday, I react to the NFL. So unless there's something so seismic that's like it has to be the number one story, I'll react to all the NFL news once we finish the double header of games tonight. Uh, We've got double Monday Night Football games. So I will react to those um, on uh, on Tuesday. I'm going to react to college football. Also, a ton of other stories out there. And let's start off right here uh, with college football, uh, which to me, there is the number one story. Look, Tennessee got destroyed by Florida again. It's the biggest game, I think, of the weekend. I'll get into Colorado, Colorado State, Alabama not looking good, break down everything that I saw over the weekend that was. But I got to just tell you guys, like, I couldn't believe how bad Tennessee was in the first half. It was an unmitigated disaster. Uh, Josh Heupel's team looked awful in all facets. And I give credit to the Florida Gators. They came out, they got up 26-7. to seven. Uh, They scored 26 unanswered after Tennessee went up uh, by, uh, by 7. But nothing I really saw from Florida... Changed my overall expectations of what Florida was likely to be this year. I think Florida is a six and six caliber team. They looked like to me a six and six caliber team uh, in the way that they performed on uh, Saturday. Tennessee, unfortunately, from my perspective, also looked like a six and six team and got absolutely wrecked. And I know a lot of people are focused on Joe Milton, who was Tennessee's quarterback this year, replacing Hendon Hooker. Uh, I think it was far more about the offensive line, and I'll talk about that a little bit with Alabama as well. But more importantly, Tennessee looked like they didn't know what they were doing on the defensive side of the ball. Every time Florida put somebody in motion, it was like Tennessee wasn't allowed, uh, wasn't aware that you were allowed to move anybody on the offensive side of the ball. They didn't know how to shift. They didn't have uh, the ability to adjust their defense. It was an atrocious performance, and I think it's an alarming performance. Uh, And I I think if you were of the opinion, and I was, that what we saw last year from Tennessee was a harbinger of things to come and not an outlier year when everything went perfect, um, there's a lot of arguments to make that last year's 11-2 season was an outlier. Uh, Now, the rest of the SEC looks awful, and we'll talk about that a little bit as well, Um, but there's no excuse for the performance that Tennessee put forward on the road in Gainesville. And unfortunately, if you think about the last several games that Tennessee has played, by and large, on the road, they got whipped at Georgia, uh, they got demolished at South Carolina, and now they got a double-digit beat down from Florida as well. Two of those three teams, that's one thing to lose to Georgia on the road. Georgia is uh, was at the time the defending champ and they went on to win their second straight title. So you can kind of talk about Georgia. That's a tough situation to go on the road in Athens and and have to find that uh, have to have that game to play. But to lose at the swamp and to now, I think I'm correct, Tennessee is 2 and 17 in the last 20 against Florida. This is an inexcusable loss. And I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat it. I don't think there's any way to try to pretend it's something than, uh, than, than what it was. It can simultaneously be a big win for Billy Napier, and I think it was, because Florida's going to lose a lot of games this year. And in year two, uh, the Gators do not look very good, okay? I think that's fair to say. Graham Mertz uh, played probably about as well as he could have. But Florida, I think, is still going to be a 6-16 six and six team. And if you're Tennessee and you can't go on the road and beat a 6-6 six and six Florida Gator team in the Swamp, when are you ever going to beat them? I think that's the challenge. I don't know that for the next 20 years Tennessee will be in a position where they are as big of a favorite as they were Saturday night and they still couldn't get it done. To me, all of that adds up and becomes a big issue going forward. So I don't know um, what the solution is. Uh, other than maybe Tennessee's just going to be an eight-win caliber team under Josh Heupel and that 11-win season is an aberration. Uh, because the way Tennessee played on the road against Florida, they could lose to South Carolina. They could lose to A&M. Um, they could lose to Alabama, certainly. They'll be an underdog in that game. Uh, they could lose to Kentucky. They could lose to Missouri. There's a lot of games on the schedule, certainly Georgia that Tennessee could lose if they play the way that they did against Florida. Frankly, it's alarming. Congratulations to the Gators. Again, it's a big win for Billy Napier. but It's a bad loss for, uh, for Josh Heupel, and it's an alarming loss. And we'll see what happens the next couple of weeks uh, before Tennessee hits their bye week. Uh, but this is very alarming. Um, Colorado. Got the win over Colorado State. I stayed up to like 30 in the morning or whatever the heck it was um, to be able to, uh, to to see this game. 98-yard drive from Shader Sanders. Uh, the Colorado State Rams had the game won. They were up 28-20, perfect punt, pinned Colorado back deep, and then the uh, Colorado went the length of field, 98 yards, found a way to win. Now, Deion Sanders' team's gotten to 3-0. I think they're probably wildly overhyped to be fair, uh, because I don't think – I'm not sure Colorado's a top-25 team. Uh, certainly, they have three really good wins, uh, but they were a 22- or 24-point favorite in this game, and they were very fortunate to win. Uh, I think that Oregon is going to take it to Colorado. I think that USC is going to take it to Colorado. And I think in a couple of weeks, we're going to be sitting around and saying, well, wow, Colorado's only 3-2, and two, and a lot of the attention will diminish. But – In the short term, this is huge for Deion Sanders because I think what Deion can do is go out and now sell recruits on what his vision is for Colorado going forward. And if you bring in elite playmakers, that can be a tremendous difference going forward. Um, There was a lot of talk uh, about this game. They tried to hype it up uh, as much as they could. I haven't seen the numbers, but I would bet There was a really big audience watching. They had both game day and big noon, both doing the pregame show from Boulder. And I just saw where USC is going to be a noon game Eastern. So you're going to have a Pac-12 kickoff at 10 a.m. Fox will have USC against uh, Colorado. So if you're sick of the hype already, the hype is only going to grow after the wins over TCU and Nebraska, now Colorado State. And if you keep winning, the hype continues to grow, and once you lose, I think, and I do think Colorado will lose to Oregon and to USC, I think you will see a substantial response uh, as the hype is uh, is attacked and as uh, as you see people argue that they were wildly overvalued. But in the short term, I think the biggest story of the year so far has been Colorado. Now, partly that's a function of the fact that we haven't had that many big games so far. We're going to have a lot of big games this week. I'll have my gambling picks up for early tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to make them this afternoon. I'll send them in, and they'll be ready to roll for Tuesday morning. So there are, I believe, six top 25 matchups coming up this weekend. We didn't have a single top 25 matchup last week. That's a failure of the college football scheduling uh, that the biggest and best game, I think, probably is Tennessee-Florida or uh, the Colorado State-Colorado game. Um, but Colorado, if you think that they're being overcovered, is a big story. Now, I, I thought that ESPN did a poor job calling the game and, and they put in place calling the game this idiot, Mark Jones. And if you've forgotten who Mark Jones is, Mark Jones, in the wake of the George Floyd incident, said he would no longer support uh, any sort of police escort because he was afraid that the police officers were going to kill him because he's black. This is the kind of comment that is so inflammatory and so insanely stupid that if ESPN had any backbone at all, they would have fired him on the spot. They would have said, yeah, you can't say that. You can't imply that police officers who are escorting you to a college football game are going to kill you. I said I would love to know whether or not he's still claiming that he's not going to get any escort uh, to the games. But that is so flagrantly dumb of a comment that, uh, that I think uh, Mark Jones should be fired, should be allowed to work at ESPN, because it's such a dumb comment, right? There is a standard for intelligence on some level, at least there should be. Um, also, uh, Mark Jones tried to racialize the game. I didn't even know Jay Norvell was black. Maybe I should have. I don't spend a lot of time focused on the race of individuals. I just, maybe, maybe I'm rare for that reason. I legit saw Jay Norvell and I thought he was just a super tan white guy. I, I didn't know all right like I I, I thought uh, maybe he was like you know Kramer after he had gotten in the tanning bed for too long uh, on Seinfeld back in the day. I, I legit didn't know. so they tried to turn it into some sort of racial uh, storyline and I, and I think it's just so weak and and I always think it's unfortunate when ESPN decides to racialize everything because the reality is most people don't think in that form or manner, and sports brings us together. And so I thought it was unfortunate, the fact that Mark Jones is calling this game. I mean, I think the fact that Mark Jones has celebrated in the same way that Keith Olbermann celebrated when Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles tendon. Uh, Mark Jones celebrated when one of the Bosa players hurt himself because one of the BOSA players, I think, was a Trump voter, and uh, I mean, I hear this, and and I just think, like, I don't think you should be employed by a sports network, in my opinion, uh, if you are publicly celebrating injuries because somebody has a political opinion that's different than your own, right? Uh, whether you are a huge Bernie bro, or Biden person, or a Trump person, or Ron DeSantis, whoever you support in athletics, one, I don't, really care it doesn't impact whether or not um I I I think that your overall talent is in play but certainly I don't think you should be celebrating when somebody gets hurt based on what their political opinions are yet that is what the Keith Olbermans and Mark Joneses of the world do and I'll just point out that both of those guys used to be employees uh, at ESPN one of them still is And I think it's because the culture that ESPN has created is so far left-wing that it's toxic. So that is worth uh, factoring in. All right, we talked about Tennessee, Florida. We talked about Colorado, about Georgia, South Carolina. Um, I watched most of this game. South Carolina was up 14-3 to at the half. Georgia then came back, scored 21 unanswered. I believe the final score was 24-14, if I'm not mistaken. But to me, the lesson that emerged from that game is one that we've seen for the first three weeks of the season, it's this, the SEC is substantially down. Georgia is probably still the best team in the SEC, but Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, Texas A&M, LSU, probably more than that, but that's at least five different teams that are typically near the top half of the SEC. All of them have lost a game by double digits already this year. Uh, Alabama has as well if I didn't put them in the mix. That's bad. That is not ideal, again, to have all of those different teams have lost South Carolina as well if I didn't toss them in, to have all of those teams have lost at least one game by double digits. Uh, Georgia doesn't look very good uh, so far through three weeks. They got dominated in the first half by South Carolina. South Carolina got dominated by North Carolina in their game. What does this tell us? I think that there's no great team in the SEC. It may also be the case that there's no great team in college football, period. But I think it's fair to start asking the question, has NIL and the open transfer portal, has it elevated the floor that has lifted the teams on the bottom and also simultaneously pulled down the ceiling to create more parity in college football? I don't think it's crazy to contemplate that that might be occurring. Um, And that might be why some of these SEC schools are not looking as dominant as they have in the past, including Alabama, who was atrocious against South Florida. Now, Alabama went with their backup two quarterbacks. Uh, Neither guy had a very good game. uh, And they now are going back to Jalen Milroe. It makes me feel like Jalen Milroe did something that actually got him suspended for a game. Maybe that's not fair, but when Jalen Milrow doesn't play at all for the entire game and then suddenly he's back a week later after not not, not even being third string and now he's back to first string, it makes me think he must have done something in practice to provoke Nick Saban's ire. Maybe it was in the locker room after the game. Maybe it was early in the weekend practice. Maybe he walked out of practice. Something must have happened to make Nick Saban go from Jalen Milroe is the starter to Jalen Milroe is third string, he's not going to play at all, to back to Jalen Milroe is the starter, all in the space of roughly, what, four days? Um, it doesn't add up. Something must have happened there. But while the Alabama quarterback position is getting all of the attention, Alabama's offensive line is awful. They look atrocious. And so... All of the attention right now is going on how the quarterbacks play and everything else associated with that. The bigger question to me is, what's happened to Alabama's offensive line? Because Alabama, to me, doesn't even look like a top 25 game, a top 25 team through three weeks. So I want you to think about this. Alabama outside of the top 10. Also, I was looking at the national championship odds and I don't remember ever seeing the Crimson Tide down this low, Uh, Alabama's 50-1 to to win the national title. Um, That's pretty crazy considering we're only entering into the fourth week of the season. So what's going on at Alabama? And this offensive line is so bad, but Nick Saban also doesn't seem like himself on the sideline. Does he recognize that this Alabama team is not that good? Because it almost feels like he's stopping to smell the roses a bit which also doesn't add up given the way that Nick Saban typically responds uh, in situations like these, when he feels like he's got a team that, win, that, that can win a championship, something is strange. Something is not adding up here, but the Alabama offensive line issues are certainly very real beyond uh, a shadow of a doubt. Um, so this in and of itself is worth paying attention to. Now, I have got a, uh, a couple of things here that uh, that I want to hit you with still from the starting 11. Encourage you, as always. I stayed up till 2.30 in the morning writing the starting 11. I try to get it up every single uh, Sunday before the NFL kicks off. Uh, but, again, SEC way down, Colorado biggest story so far. And here's my outkick top 10. Uh, Florida State survived. I didn't think they were very good. I left them at number one. In my Outkick Top 10, let me explain why. It's because, to me, Florida State has the single best win of the season so far. LSU, other than the second half against Florida State, when they got dominated, has looked very good. So if you ask me right now, hey, who has the best win in all of college football, I would say it's Florida State over LSU. Hey, Clay Travis here. We'll be right back. But first, here's a word. So I've got Florida State 1. I've got Texas 2, although if I'm a Longhorn fan, that game against uh, against Wyoming was close for some time. Also, the way Alabama looked against South Florida, the Texas fans feel a little bit less excited about that performance, maybe. I've got SC 3rd, Colorado 4th. While I think Colorado is overrated relative to the hype, and overrated relative to where I've got them right now, TCU, uh, Nebraska, and Colorado State. That's three quality wins. Most teams do not have three quality wins right now. i got Miami 5, I've got Utah 6, Duke 7, North Carolina 8, Ole Miss 9, Penn State 10, uh, again, I only rank teams based on what they've done on the field so far. And you say, okay, why is Penn State 10, for instance? They went on the road and won comfortably at Illinois, and they beat in West Virginia. So they have two Power 5 wins. Most teams in college football right now do not have two Power 5 conference wins. And then in the SEC power rankings, it's a mess. I've got Ole Miss 1, uh, basically by virtue of the win over Tulane. Uh, I've got Georgia 2. Uh, because they've got an SEC win, which is relatively rare. Uh, Auburn, three. I've got LSU, four, uh, because of the they have a road win over Mississippi State um, and because they, they really took it to uh, Mississippi State, smoked them. I've got Missouri, five. Missouri gets the win, 61-yard field goal. After I was watching this live, I couldn't believe it. After Eli Drinkwitz takes a five-yard delay-of-game penalty, which was indefensible Uh, to end up in that scenario where you have to bang through a 61-yarder against Kansas State. They did it, Uh, but I thought that was indefensible. Uh, I've got Bama at seven. Sorry, Kentucky at six. Uh, Kentucky's 3-0, and but they haven't looked that great. Uh, I've got Alabama seven. Uh, I've got the Florida Gators eight, Tennessee nine, South Carolina ten, uh, maybe a little bit unfair to South Carolina because North Carolina and Georgia both probably quality opponents, uh, but I didn't think South Carolina looked very good against Furman. Uh, Texas A&M 11, uh, Mississippi State 12, Arkansas 13, and the Vanderbilt Commodores at 14. Uh, oh, by the way, gambling picks went 6-4. and four. Decent little bounce back performance. Would have liked to have seen uh, the over hit in the Penn State-Illinois game. We were close. But six and four weekend, I'll take it. I'll take every winning weekend. All right. Bunch of other stories that are out there. Um, I want to talk about this Lauren Boebert story. And I want to talk about it in particular as it pertains to the controversy surrounding that, as well as Virginia's Susanna Gibson, who is a House candidate. And I want to talk about the way that you assess. So you might have heard me talk about this on Clay and Buck just a short little bit ago. But Susanna Gibson is a candidate for the Virginia State House who was making chatterbait videos for uh, people. Basically, this is where you give tips to people and they will perform sexually on camera for you. And Susanna Gibson was doing this uh, with her husband. Uh, That was uh, the performance. She's a Virginia House candidate. And lots of people have said, oh my goodness, how dare these videos come out this is unacceptable. Yes, she's still a top candidate for elected office. Okay, um, and I think you can have that perspective, right? And I'll talk about it. But Lauren Bobert went to Beetlejuice. Uh, she's wearing a hot dress. She's on a date. She got divorced. Uh, she is getting fondled by uh, by her date in the in the theater. Uh, it's a dark theater, but evidently they have like night vision cameras. Uh, she is, uh, getting fondled by her date. She appears to fondle him a bit. Uh, then they get kicked out. She's vaping, whatever. I, I don't know. Okay. This is the big story. They came out of going to see Beetlejuice. I said this on the show earlier. I hate musicals. So if you told me right now, Hey, you have to go to a musical or you go to a play. It's not a musical, but people are going to make out in front of you. I would way rather go to the play where people make out in front of me that's not a musical, right? I'm just not a musical guy. The idea of going to see a Beetlejuice musical sounds miserable to me, all right? Now, I've been to a bunch of musicals. I go with my wife. I've been with my kids. That's fine. I just don't like singing and dancing on stage. Like I'm a story guy, not a singer guy, okay? That's my takeaway. But, because I can't even understand the words that they're saying and I just keep thinking all the time this is me going on my anti musical rant it's not real like you want to take me into a story convince me that you are telling me a story let me lose myself in the story as soon as you start singing and dancing I'm like I can't I can't I can't follow this story anymore I'm anti musical so as a part of this if your position is I don't want any political candidate to be engaged in any morally questionable behavior of a sexual nature, I want all of them fired, I don't want any of them in the office, then I can at least see how you would have a standard position. So you could be like Susanna Gibson, the uh, Democrat, Virginia House candidate, she has to be gone and Lauren Boebert, she has to be gone too. Put simply, I think that's crazy. Okay, I tend to be, for better or worse, very much of a live and let live person. Right. Let uh, voters make a decision. I didn't want Bill Clinton removed from office over a blowjob from an intern. I certainly don't think Lauren Boebert uh, should be removed from office, as some people have argued that she should step down because she's making out and fondling a little bit in public in a uh, in a theater. But. I saw some people on the left say that Susanna Gibson was being unfairly criticized for making sex tapes and selling them online and simultaneously arguing that Lauren Boebert should have to step down from her congressional seat. There's no way on earth that you can have a functional brain and make that argument. Okay? Okay. You can say, I think both should be gone. I am a purist in terms of behavior. I'm very much of a moral figure. You can make that argument, right? Not going to judge you. You have the right, I disagree with you. You also have the right, my position, to be like, I think voters should decide personally, I don't want to fire somebody because of something that they did in their personal life that's not a crime. That's been my position for years. That's what I have defended for a very long time. The idea that you would say Lauren Boebert has to be gone and Susanna Gibson should be elected is fundamentally broken, but the analogy I made is this is sports meeting politics. I have seen this happen my entire career. Fan bases will defend whatever their star player does, their quarterback, their running back, their defensive back, whoever it is, their point guard, their shooting guard, Uh, doesn't matter. They'll defend it to the ends of the earth because it makes the team more likely to win, but they will simultaneously want to be so-called hanging judges. That is, they want the most extensive of penalties to be put forth on their rival teams. That's basically what we're seeing in politics now. And I think it should be called out. You should be consistent of principle, even sometimes if that means that you're defending somebody who's a Democrat or somebody who's a Republican. All right. So that is my position. I don't have any issue with the Lauren Boebert situation. Uh, And I think voters should be able to decide whether or not they think Susanna Gibson should represent them. She is the woman who put out and then tried to claim she was a victim. Like if you try to make money having sex online and then people find out you tried to make money having sex online, I don't think you're a victim. Speaking of, I don't know exactly. So I had to look up. I'm getting look, I'm 44. I can't keep up with what's going on in Instagram. I barely know what goes on TikTok. I'm getting older. I understand it. I'm not an expert in the internet on a day-to-day basis. I know that at OutKick, some of our writers, I met Olivia Dunn. I know that Olivia Dunn is super famous. She is a uh, LSU gymnast. Um, I know a bunch of our writers have written a lot about Olivia Dunn over the years. Um uh meaning like the last couple of years. She's got six million Instagram followers, whatever it is. She is a bona fide celebrity. So there's this girl evidently named and I had to look all this up, all right. Um, there's this girl named Brecky Hill, who is like Olivia Dunn with bigger boobs. I think that's basically her calling card. And they've like been feuding. They're both like cute, blonde 20-somethings, but Uh, Olivia Dunn is famous because initially she was a gymnast. Brecky Hill, so far as I can tell, is just famous because she looks something like Olivia Dunn. Again, this is my research. I am 44. If I am wrong on this, I will wear it. I can't keep up with all the kid controversies these days. All right. But we have a story up today, and I saw this and I couldn't believe it. This Brecky Hill chick says that she is making $500,000 a month which would be $6 million a year off of OnlyFans. I I am utterly fascinated by this. I I swear to you, I've never been on OnlyFans in my life. I understand that a bunch of these Instagram girls are on OnlyFans, and they get famous on uh, Instagram and then on OnlyFans. My understanding, again, I'm old school. I'm like, uh, you know... Back in the day when Playboy had the squiggly line and you used to watch it and hope at some point you'd get to see a blue boob. Uh, I am old school. Back in the day when you would try to figure out how do you get a Playboy magazine? How do you get a penthouse? Like, my age growing up, porn was mostly on pages, right? Like, in magazines, if you, like, had a satellite or something, you might see, you got uh, spectra Vision in the hotel rooms or whatever. Like, that was our era. We didn't have the phone. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have porn everywhere. Like, you had to actually go and buy it, right? Um, Back in my day, you had to buy porn. It wasn't free everywhere. I I am fascinated by this OnlyFans business model. Because let me just kind of walk you through my theory on what's going on. So, when I was a kid, moving into my teen years, like, let's just say... Uh, Clay Travis from 12 or 13 to like 22, right? Most people who were famous for being attractive women were either uh, like they were like on the cover of Maxim or they were on the cover of like FHM stuff. They had all of those so-called lad mags. Do you guys remember that era? If you're around my age, you might. I don't even know if those magazines hardly still exist. Everybody bought them. It would have like Jessica Alba, or Jennifer Love Hewitt, or, uh, uh, like, th- that was that era. Pamela Anderson, all those people were super famous. Now, it seems to me, there are relatively few of them. What was the, uh, what was the, uh, the, the ch- there were a couple of the chicks that had the MTV dating show, Tia Carrere. I can't even remember. There, there was, like, seven or eight girls that everybody uh, from the age of like adolescent males, 13 to 24, everybody knew them, right? Like they had 100% Carmen Electra, they had 100% name recognition. Even now, Jenny McCarthy, as I'm running through them, all of you around my age are nodding. You're like, all these people are famous. Now it seems to me there are way more people who basically are famous, but they're famous in smaller universes. So, whereas everybody would have known Carmen Electra back in the day, let's say, or everybody would have known uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, right? Um, now it seems to me that there are all these micro-celebrities. So, there are people that, like, my kids watch YouTube all day. Mr. Beast is an example. Everybody, every 12 to 14, your 10 to 14-year-old pretty much in America knows who Mr. Beast is. If you are 35 and you are watching me right now, you probably have no idea who Mr. Beast is. If you are watching or listening to me and you are 60, you almost 100% have no idea. We have micro-targeted celebrity so that we've created all of these different, very famous people who make livings, but huge percentages of the population overall have no idea they exist. There's very much of this niche celebrity universe. And the OnlyFans model, I I would never have believed that there was the kind of money rolling in that these people are making on a regular basis. But they are making, some of these girls, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. Now, I don't think there's any dudes making money, right? So I'll just point out, equal pay for equal work doesn't apply in modeling. Female beauty is desired and, uh, and, uh, valued at an infinitely higher rate than male beauty. i am an incredibly, I'm making jokes. I'm, I'm an incredibly good looking man. I don't think anybody would pay me to get to be an OnlyFans, uh, model. Like, I don't think anybody would pay for my feet pictures. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a huge market out there. People are like, you know what, Clay, if you sold feet pictures, I would be there in a heartbeat. I've been wanting to see your feet for so long. I've been willing to pay thousands of dollars for them. Maybe they would. General proposition is the single most valuable privilege in America today is hot girl privilege. It is the apex. Most people don't talk about it. Hot girl privilege, number one overall. And OnlyFans is allowing these girls, many of them, to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year if not millions. My question is, who are the guys that are paying? Because, again, I'm just looking at it from a business perspective. I would love to know how much money did Stuff Magazine and Playboy and Maxim and Penthouse, all those magazines make back in the day? I don't know. I don't think it was billions of dollars. The numbers suggest that OnlyFans is now making billions of dollars. And some of you are saying, well, that's because sex sells. Okay, but sex doesn't sell in the pornography industry. Most women, like the Jenna Jamesons of the world, didn't make that much money off of porno movies. And obviously there's a huge market for pornography. Why is it that OnlyFans, the girls are making so much more money than they would have as a Playboy centerfold or the cover of Maxim magazine or uh, the, uh, I don't know, Stuff magazine back in the day, or even porn, right? Those are obviously different things. There's a different thing between being a uh, centerfold and being on the cover of Maxim and uh, and doing porn, but in all of those situations, you're selling sex. So to me, what's fascinating about this is how is the market so much more substantial on OnlyFans to sell sex than it would be, like, again, this Brecky Hill chick. She wouldn't be making that in porn. She wouldn't be making that as a Playboy centerfold. She wouldn't be making that as the cover uh, of Maxim Magazine back in the day. So what is it about her that is—and I'm just using her as a representative sample because I haven't done a a lot of research on this. What is it about OnlyFans that is unlocking billions of dollars in pay— that didn't exist in the sex industry before. I don't claim to know the answer. I'm utterly fascinated by it. Um, so anyway, uh, you can go read about that. I'm going to continue to pay attention to this. I'm, I'm super intrigued by it. Um, we have, speaking of uh, millions of dollars, we lost what I'm told is an F-35. And the government guy uh, had an issue and he, uh, and he, I was going to say ejaculated. I don't think that's what he did. He ejected. I'm still thinking about OnlyFans. He didn't ejaculate. He ejected himself out of uh, this jet before it crashes somewhere in South Carolina. And I know the Malaysian Airlines flight, they lost the jet. We still have no idea what happened to it. How is it that I know where my kids are every minute when I pick up my phone and go to find my phone I can see exactly where my boys are in real time with their phones, and the government can't find a jet. This doesn't seem like it should be possible. The government shouldn't be saying, hey, South Carolinians, can you help us find a jet? We think it crashed somewhere in the mountains in your state. How do we not know where the jet is? How is it possible to lose a jet when it's almost impossible to lose an iPhone? I don't know what the, what does your iPhone cost? Seven, $800, all right. How is it possible that you could lose a jet, but you almost can't lose an iPhone? Like I was golfing a while back with a buddy and his iPhone fell out of the car, the cart that we were driving in, And we didn't notice it for several holes, and then we get on the iPhone, we find it, we drive right to it. You probably, at some point in time, have experienced losing your phone, getting on Find My Phone, going, figuring out exactly where it is. You might have even gone to a stranger's house that ended up with your phone. Might have left it in an Uber, might have left it in a cab, might have left it on an airplane. How is it possible that all of that can be tracked? but we can't manage to find a jet. This feels to me indefensible in general. Um, Hunter Biden is suing the IRS. This is an all-time crazy, stupid move. Um, Hunter Biden is uh, suing the IRS, saying that they released his private information and he was embarrassed by it. Hunter Biden tried to write off hookers on his tax return. Let me repeat that. Hunter Biden tried to write off hookers on his tax return, and he's embarrassed that they have released the fact that he didn't pay millions of dollars in taxes? Why should that matter? If you or I didn't pay millions of dollars in taxes, we would be in prison. I'm telling you right now, if I had millions of dollars in outstanding taxes, the job that I have right now, the FBI or whoever does the enforcement for the IRS would show up at my house and they would put me in cuffs and they would book me. They would charge me with crimes. They put Wesley Snipes in prison for not paying his taxes. Why in the world does Hunter Biden think it's a good move to sue the IRS for rightly pointing out, IRS whistleblowers, that he's getting a free pass? If anything, this just makes him look worse. Really bad advice, as I would say for some time, and I have. Anger is not a legal strategy. It's an emotion. And if you allow anger to dictate your legal strategy, you are going to end up checkmating yourself almost always. Uh, speaking of checkmating yourself, um, there's a dress code change. Uh, the Senate is now going to allow John Fetterman to walk around in hoodies and shorts on the Senate floor This is a bad choice. And I say that as a guy who wears T-shirts and shorts as much as I possibly can. There's like a 90% chance that if you see me out in public, I'm going to be in a T-shirt and shorts. If I can be in a T-shirt and shorts, I am wearing a T-shirt and shorts. All right? That's just going to be the choice that I am going to make if the weather's good the vast majority of the time. But if I were a senator, I would wear pants. I've got shorts on right now. I would wear pants and... And I also would be willing to wear a button-down shirt and even a jacket. That seems like the bare minimum when you're on the floor in the Senate. Continuing to devalue uh, the overall requirements because John Fetterman is a bum is a poor choice, I think. Uh, I think that Chuck Schumer is making a poor, poor choice associated with this. Uh, finally, ESPN's putting Monday Night Football on ABC. And I'm going to talk about this some tomorrow. This feels like a pretty clear breach of what should be the existing ESPN uh, cable and satellite contracts. The reason why ESPN is able to charge what they can to everyone who is carrying ESPN is because they have uh, Monday Night Football exclusively on cable. Once you allow me to get it for free on ABC you are undercutting the entire premise upon which your company is based. So I'm going to talk about this some tomorrow, but I just want you to think about it. There's double Monday Night Football games tonight. I wanted to give you a couple of picks uh, as I went uh, in to finish off the show today. Um, But I do think it's worth thinking about what unique value are you getting for ESPN if their foremost asset, which is Monday Night Football, is now going to be distributed uh, on the uh regular broadcast. Just worth thinking about. Uh, Saints, Panthers, I'm on the under 39 and a half in this one tonight. Saints, Panthers under 49, under 39 and a half. Uh, I'm looking at the real-time numbers. And on the Browns, Steelers, I am on the Steelers plus two and a half. Steelers plus two and a half. Uh, Saints, Panthers under 39 and a half all right enjoy the games tonight uh full breakdown of the nfl tomorrow this has been outkick the show